0: Today's podcast is brought to you by the Triple P Positive Parenting Program. Hello, I'm Patrick Hurd, Principal Consultant at Community Business Australia, and welcome to Seen and Heard, a podcast about communities and the events and issues that shape the people and organisation within those communities. My special guest today is my brother, Michael Hurd. Michael is a developmental psychologist who has spent 40 years learning how to best support parents who struggle to support their children. The key, he has found, is to not just give expert parenting advice, but to use a self-regulatory process where parents are supported to build their capacity to problem-solve their own parenting challenges. Of course then, our topic today is about raising children but particularly practical solutions to the challenges of modern-day parenting. During his 40 years' experience, Michael has worked with children and families firstly as a teacher, then a guidance officer and a psychologist, and he's still going. As a guidance officer, he spent 18 years in a clinical program called the Management of Young Children Program. This is an intensive behaviour support program for parents of children 2.5 to 7 years of age who have been very challenging for their parents. For the last 12 years, he's worked in a private child clinic while also working as a contract trainer for the Triple P International. TPI is a private company who has the rights from the University of Queensland to deliver training to practitioners in all parenting interventions developed by the university. Michael now also works full-time for TPI and is the Deputy Head of Training for Australia and New Zealand. Michael has a PhD in psychology from the University of Queensland, and he has an intensifying passion for understanding the challenges of parenting and how to best support parents to enjoy their children. All right, so let's introduce Michael. Welcome, Michael. G'day, Pat. Thanks so much for being our guest on our tenth podcast. And this time, twelve months ago, I interviewed our brother Brian Hurd uh, as our first podcast interviewee and uh, on his career in the aged care space. So. I'm delighted to interview Michael now on his career in education, child development, and positive parenting. So, Michael, in preparation for our conversation, I asked some of my colleagues and our family members what are their views on parenting, what they'd like to ask Michael. One of the things we all all agreed on, which sounds pretty pretty basic, is you know, we're all children at some stage and we all had a parent or a carer or a grandparent, etc., that was important in our life, and we've all experienced Um, interactions with older adults and so we've all got an opinion (laughs) that's what we learned and it was wide and varied so I'll talk more about that later but firstly set the scene for us in terms of maybe a bit of a a potted history of of how your career ended up in this positive parenting program
1: with Triple P. Well I started out as a teacher a primary teacher and um, when I was trained I didn't learn much (laughs) so I learned a lot on the job, and I discovered something really important as a, as a teacher. I learned that it's about relationship building, but I didn't think that was the case when I first started. It's about how we build relationships sure, with children. So that was a really crucial um, element that I, that I uh, discovered. I also discovered that I liked working with children who were challenging, because I, I had lots of them, <laughs> as all teachers will tell you, and I really enjoyed working with them. So from there, I um, decided I'd become a guidance officer, where I'd have more chance to work with those wow, sort okay. of children. So, yeah, so I went down that path of becoming a guidance officer. So I went back and did a master's and started to work as a guidance person. And I was really lucky because given the opportunity to work in a program called the Management of Young Children Program as a guidance person, and this is a um, program for children two and a half to seven who are being pretty tricky for their parents, and they come for three sessions a week. It's very clinical. They work behind a one-way mirror in a training room. Um, So I learned a lot from those those families, a a huge amount, in fact. I learned a lot about... um, the challenges that parents have. And for example, um, parents would say to me things like, I don't want his eyes to open up in the morning because that's when my problems start. <laughs> and I, I can't wait for his eyes to shut because that's where my life starts. Like that sort of challenge and wow. the level of challenge that parents experience from little people who are three years old. So, and I really enjoyed working with them and I learned a lot from, from those families.
0: Um, you can just imagine the. the, the the stressful environment of those that parenting with that that child, you know, 24/7, it just must yeah. have driven them crazy.
1: Yeah. Well, mum would buy herself with a child that level of stress. It can be an incredible challenge. And and I suppose for me, having the ability to actually help those parents be with their children and enjoy them was just a great experience to be able to do that with a family. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not easy, but, but it was great to be able to do that. And we weren't successful with every family, but just successful with a great percentage of them was sure a, was a really uh, wonderful thing.
0: And 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 how did that lead you now to the triple P? So you are still in education at that stage. Yeah, well, I
1: trained as I trained as a triple P practitioner in like group triple P and pathways program, and other program and I used to use that um, program. But then I decided I was going to become a psychologist. I went and studied psychology, did psychology, did a PhD in in psychology as well, and then started to work as a psychologist. So I left education Queensland and yep. worked in a private clinic, and. Right. Um, did a lot of work with children on the autism spectrum, right? so I really enjoy them in particular.
0: I always ask I guess this question it, you, know, you know this is 40 years you've just given us an overview of it. it's a lot it's a lot of years mm. was there a, a purposeful progression of that career or it sounds like you just followed a passion in some respect is that true? Well
1: to some extent it was but it, it was a bit accidental um I was really interested in difficult children and I had some success with them so I suppose that influenced me a fair bit was that sense of success and I felt like I discovered how to support families to be successful with really difficult situations and I think that's why I kept pursuing it I suppose. Um, um, I eventually, I I trained as a Triple P um, trainer then so I was, because I was interested so I um, applied for that and got accepted for that, trained as a trainer and, and I'd been training practitioners to deliver triple p now and i've been doing that for about 13 years as a contractor and still working in a clinic and now i'm actually doing that full-time over the last couple of years
0: so just tell us a bit more about triple p because it's based here in queensland or started here in queensland
1: yeah the university of queensland Well, it originated to some extent in 1982 and it's been the research has been developed since then um, but it's a, it's a multi-level program, So it's, and the levels are to do with intensity, so it's about providing the parents or giving the parents the opportunity to, to capture the support they need to match the sort of concerns they're having. So there's five levels. Level one is the lowest level of intensity. Level five is the highest level of intensity. Sure. So. Um, it's a, the, having those levels allows parents to be able to access that, the level of support they particularly need. For example, Level 1 is just what we're doing today. We're talking about parenting. We're sharing the ideas of perhaps Triple P or handing out brochures or giving parents information about a seminar coming. up. Right. Level 1 is yeah. just about um, um, information. A level two might be something like a seminar where parent practitioners are trained. I might train practitioners to deliver a presentation. Um, A couple of topics they're trained in their 90-minute presentations. The power of positive parenting or raising resilient children or um, raising confident, competent children. So they're trained in... To deliver a, a seminar just an example of level two level three we're going up the level so more intense um an example of a program there is something called uh, primary care where we train practitioners to help parents with one specific concern they might have it might be things like bedwetting, or nightmares and night terrors or sharing or fighting or hurting others there's 49 topics of we have tip sheets about but we use these tip sheets oh. to help parents come up with a plan around a specific concern. So that's level three. Level four, much more intensive, um, eight-session group group program, 10-session individual program, programs for children from zero to 12, programs for teens, programs for children with disabilities. There's a program for parents who have separated and divorced. There's a program for children who, um, uh, who might have anxiety. Level five, you go right up to the highest level of intensity is an example of a program there, something like Pathways, where one module in there is helping parents who have difficulties um, managing their anger around their children. Sure. So it's a little module to support parents around that. The Another part of Pathways is a, um, a module called, um, it's, it's basically what we call attribution retraining. We wouldn't use that per- term with parents, but it's about trying to help them rethink the reason their children behave the way they do. For example, if parents think, he was just born that way, or he he's just like his father, or he's just a little shit. When parents say those sorts of things, that can be really difficult to just help them take on board other type parenting information. So that's another element of of, um, of um, level six or uh, pathway. So that's the, there's multi-level.
0: Incredible. And w- when you're explaining that, I'm thinking, you know, you've had such a long career working with children, but now you're you're mainly working with. The parents of the children, so we're actually training the parents, aren't we, in terms of these behaviours?
1: Well, now I actually train practitioners like right. psychologists yeah. and social workers, typically. Yeah. Um, but I still have some contact with, with parents as well. But but I do uh, train practitioners. They can be more challenging than children. Uh. Practitioners. <laughs> Look, okay, so let's
0: just start with it. We'll continue with a basic question. You know, you know who who can be a parent? How does that? How does that? When you say that word, what, what does that mean in terms of you know, context for our conversation? Well,
1: often it happens accidentally, yeah. uh, being a parent. So there's, there's no real um, criteria for who can be a parent. But I thought to myself, um, if you were to advertise the position of being a parent, it, it might sound something like this. It might, sound, it might be something like this. One parent to raise a child no experience necessary, applicants must be available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, must provide food, shelter, clothing, supervision, no training provided, Provided no salary, applicants must be, uh, pay at least $300,000 across the next 18 years, accidental uh, applications are accepted and single people may apply but should be prepared for twice the work. So when I think about that, I don't think anyone would apply, but somehow or other they do. <laughs> Actually, um, yeah, that does
0: bring in significant context, doesn't it? Which, which you're right, um, which goes to my observation, I suppose, and, and, and leading to a question, so please bear with me. But, you know, becoming a, a parent, I think, is one of the most important responsibilities we have as an adult. Um, but what I find fascinating is what you've just read out that job description is that um, there's very little requirement to becoming a parent. Yeah. And, and look, some practical examples. Come to mind? You like you? You get a driver's license to drive a car, which is an important skill for an adult. You have to be over 18, and you have to go through a test, and you have to prove competence. You want to be a professional or a tradesman, or you know, doctor, lawyer, nurse, accountant. You have got to pass exams and et cetera, et cetera. These are all important components. But as you said, to be a parent, no experience required. Nice. Anyone put your hand up? Off you go. So, as a society, you know this is a quite a big question. Should there be requirements for for people to be a parent to to, you know to be a mother or father in 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 our society in the future
1: yeah well it's an interesting question there's a sense of logic about it you think well if you're going to do this job you probably need to be well trained but People often say to me, well, why don't you train people before they become parents? But what I've discovered is that it's there's not a huge amount of value in that because um, they haven't discovered what parenting's like. They haven't discovered, what's it like to have no sleep for three nights? What's it like <laughs> when your child has a complete meltdown because there's no poppers left in the fridge and they're now collapsed on the floor with the fridge open and they're screaming? Or what's it like when they start hitting you or or hurting each other? How do I manage all that? They haven't discovered any of that. Okay. So as you present parenting ideas to them it doesn't really quite mean much but when you present those ideas to parents who've embedded in that it can it can really mean a lot to them so like sometimes people said why don't you train high school students and i think there is a value in that for sure there's a certain value but there's not a huge amount of value i don't think until parents have really experienced what it's like uh, to be a parent and have those day-to-day experiences that that parents have Mm.
0: Do, do parents that you work with do they say Um, You know, because a lot of people now are choosing not to be a parent. You know, and that's becoming a trend that we're seeing. The parents you work with, do they have regrets about becoming a parent?
1: They certainly can be traumatised because I I see a select group of parents because yes. they're usually all traumatised parents about the difficulties they're, they're having they never actually say that regret but they oh. certainly are incredibly challenged and it's incredibly emotional for them and it's a day to day thing, it's not just something that goes away, that that's there every single day so it can be hugely challenging I actually never hear people say they regret them, I had one mum uh, some years ago, and she was passionate about that she really seriously wanted me to organise as to how she would give away her children yes. and I thought I've never had that happen to me before, but she really wanted me to do that because she was so challenged by her children. That's what she wanted to do. Yeah. But generally people don't say that to me, I suppose. They still keep trying to forge ahead and trying to work out what can I do to get this going better.
0: Yeah, there's, there's no badge of honour for, for no. being a good parent. It's just that's how we raise our children best we possibly can. Yeah. But this sort of program sounds like you know a, a perfect requirement for parents as they move through some of these challenges. And every parent that I've ever spoken to has been through challenges like that, would, would you agree? And they might not come to your program, but they, sure. they've been through that. What, what are some of the other ways parents get support? Obviously, Triple P is one, but how, how else do, do parents get support through these pretty challenging times that you've seen?
1: Well, it's really interesting because when we look at the data around, around that, we know that about 25% of children across the world have emotional behaviour problems. It's a fairly large percentage. Mm. Um, But we know that only about 10% of parents actually access parenting support and even less than that, access evidence-based parenting support. So not a lot of parents access it, but they know they access the internet. For example, if you type parenting into an internet search you'll end up with 198 million results <laughs> so and i wonder what parents do with this like what do they do with the information that they gather sure. online so they can be really quite confused i think um parents that's with the dangerous. information that's available yeah that, so they might go to google to try and get results but i suppose what we're trying to do if parents do engage in our process we're trying to help parents help themselves and that's that's i suppose the, uh, the difference of what we're attempting to do
0: just while we're talking about families, um, family breakups are a, a, a reality, aren't they? In terms of of um, parenting life, and you mentioned before, and that the advertisement you you read out for parenting that it could be a single parent, it can be the traditional family, it can be a blended family, it can be second time round family. So there's 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 all those. So what? How does that impact on on the on the children and the parent relationship? And um, can you win in those circumstances or is it always just to do your best you can in those circumstances? What what have you seen? Well,
1: parenting is, to some extent, the same. Anyway, it's a communication thing. It's a relationship mm. building thing. So, whether you're in a blended family or a single parent, it's all about communication. It's all about building relationship with little people, mm. and mm. as they get older, building relationship with older children as well. So, it's regardless of the situation you're in, it's still about building relationship. So, it's about helping parents discover what they're doing well, what they're doing now, and 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 whether they're happy with it. Can we provide information that they can draw from that might help them do it a bit better to start to build that relationship? So if they're a blended family, how do we provide information for them to draw on to help them problem-solve their situation? If they're a single parent, how do we help parents, those parents draw on information to work out how they're going to build a better relationship with their little people? So one of the advantages of Triple P, I suppose, is we have that opportunity to be able to allow them to access the level of support uh, that they perhaps yeah. need. It sounds
0: like over such a long period of time you've actually got resources for not every but pretty much every circumstance, isn't it, in terms that you might be confronted with as a parent in in your journey. Yeah.
1: And I suppose what's important too, Pat, is um, is for parents to access just what they need. What for example, what's the least we need to support a parent with to get them going better? The least. We don't want parents to be engaged for two years, but what's the least level of support to get this family going well so we can leave them alone and let them get on with it? basically. That, that's an important um, uh, process of Triple P as well.
0: So, um, in this many years of experience, what are some of the attributes or you know, the positive parent behaviours that, that you see you know, get results in, in, in effective parenting?
1: Well, if we think about um, there's sort of five basic principles we often think about. So, one is parents thinking about having a safe, interesting environment. So, parents who are challenged by their children, if their children don't have stuff to do like in the home and it, that could be even playing with cardboard boxes, yep. their parents are going to be growling and chasing them in, in some way or get out of that, leave that alone, stop fighting there. Your parents ha- don't have stuff to do. If they're, if they're toddlers and they're not in a safe environment, parents are going to be chasing them the whole time. So thinking about that can be really important. Parentsing, parents having a, a positive learning environment, what that's about, I suppose, is parents valuing children being engaged in the world an example of that might be going and watching them play soccer. That's valuing standing on the sideline in the rain, getting your shoes all wet um, and watching a child just physically being there. Or it could be in terms of um, um, uh, valuing them engagement in the environment when they're walking through the car park at the shops and they're a three-year-old and they find a very important rock <laughs> and they want to show you a very important rock and your response to that is is responding and encouraging them, their engagement in the world, mm. even as a very basic example. So that's an important principle. Or parents having a sense of assertive discipline and what that might look like. Well, what's it, what's important in our house? What, what are the rules that are important? How do we support those rules? How do we back them up? Mm. How do we act immediately, consistently and decisively in situations? Not angrily, but immediately, consistent, consistently and decisively. That's important. Or, or um, having realistic expectations of our little people. For example, I've had a dad who had said to me, "You know, four-year-olds, you probably have seen this, four-year-olds who can have stuff covered in their room, like, cover the entire room with stuff, toys and everything and dad comes in and says, get all this packed up <laughs> and comes back ten minutes later and the little one's still just sitting there just still playing with something, nothing's being touched at all because dad has this sense that a four-year-old knows exactly where to start and how to do it, but doesn't know where to start. But if Dad said, put all these blocks into that barrel, there's a better chance to do it. So having a realistic expectation mm. is mm. a really important principle. But also having realistic expectations of ourselves as a parent. For example, what would happen if we expected to be a perfect parent? You, you can imagine what would happen. We'd all... Fail. Fail, exactly. <laughs> I would as well. <laughs> Absolutely. But sometimes parents can have that. Or... I suppose the other thing that's important, and the final thing I'll talk about, is um, parents looking after themselves. For example, if we're going to be calm and have clear um, um, expectations and can back them up and, and build relationships with children, we've got to be well looked after. Mm. And We've got Our relationship has got to be well looked after if we have one. And that's a crucial one that parents often forget about, looking sure. up, because they think, I've got three kids, I'm by myself, I've just got to make sure they've got all their clothes and get to school and get them fed. I've got no time to look after me. Yes. But that's a huge uh, element of parents going well with their children, is making sure they're well looked after. Let's take a short break
0: now to hear from our podcast partner, the Triple P Positive Parenting Programme. The Triple P Positive Parenting Program is an internationally acclaimed positive parenting program considered world's best practice, backed up by more than 35 years of ongoing research. The program has already helped more than 4 million children and their families in almost 30 countries. The Triple P Positive Parenting Program gives parents simple and practical strategies to help them build strong, healthy relationships, confidently manage their children's behaviour and prevent problems developing. The Triple P has been shown to work across cultures, socio-economic groups and in many different kinds of family structures. No matter what stage of life your child is at, or what the challenges they're facing, the Triple P can help them learn simple but proven ways to give them the best opportunity to reach their full potential. To find out more about Triple P, visit their website at www.triplepparenting.net.au. Welcome back. I'm here today with my brother, Michael Hurd, and we're talking about raising children and practical solutions to the challenges of modern day parenting. What else comes to mind um, is this whole debate around using the word "no" with children as parents. And you know, what what's your your view on that? Because obviously, you want to be positive, and the whole program's positive parenting. But at some stage, you've got to set boundaries. I'm guessing for, Mm. and you have to actually say no that you can't do that. So, how do you approach that?
1: Well, I'm not trying to get too tied up with words that just come out of our mouths sometimes. But typically, if we're thinking about that, we I suppose it 's a percentage of how much no's we say to compare, compared to yeses, and then you 'll read lots of people on Idol say we should never say no to children however there are, realistically there are times when we have to it's say safe. Yeah. and it comes out of our mouth, so we 've got to be realistic so if we 're building relationship with children if we've, if we put all that work into building that relationship we 've got really clear guidelines, and we happen to say no's more than we, perhaps we thought we should, we, no one will die or no one will yeah. no, nothing tragic will happen typically in this model this uh, this triple P model. We talk about using the word stop. For example, we say, for example, we use stop directions by saying, for if you were um, fighting with a, your um, um, your sibling, I might say something like, "Pat, stop fighting with um, Lucy, please, and be gentle." So that's what we call a stop direction. So rather rather than say don't or no, no, we just we often use the word stop. Yeah. Okay. So we're letting little people know what to stop doing, but but also letting them know what they need to, to do, do, which is the really important part of it.
0: Ah, right. So that's why the end of that, which is, you know... Has two parts to gently. it. Yeah. yeah, so
1: so parents are, are presented with that sort of information to think about, well, how do I give directions at home? Do I growl them? Do I threaten them? Mm-hmm. So we're asking them to think about just giving a calm, stop direction. That may not equal the children doing it, but in the first instance, the children are getting a really calm, clear idea what mum needs them to do. So stop doing that and do this.
0: Yeah, got you, got you. Um, can you sort of reflect on a couple of experience and share stories um, about what's worked well and how, you know, you've seen a, um, a really difficult situation and how that's turned into a, to a very positive outcome.
1: Uh, well... One in particular, I suppose. I had this mum who came. This is when I was work. This is in the clinic. A mum who came to me. She was only arrived from Asia, um, reasonably, like only in the, in a few months. And when, when I started to work with her, she had one child. Now I knew the child was on the autism spectrum, but we hadn't quite got there yet. Um, mum wasn't ready for, to hear any of that yet. But yeah. I was working with the parent, and mum had the mum was had a really difficult. Um, childhood and was abused a fair bit as well, was sent away and and so mum had a challenging, she had a partner when she arrived but they separated, she had one child and she would screech at this young boy, he was really... Well, oh, I thought he was lovely. He was nine and she would screech at him really viciously and do it in front of anybody. And then he was a really cooperative boy. So all we did with mum was we introduced just relationship building strategies. We talked about things like um, um, spending time with him, what that looked like. We talked about physical affection. We talked about listening to him. We talked about talking to him. We talked about um, giving him attention. And, and Mum was able to explore all the value of just those relationship-building strategies. And, and as, as I always remember this, family because I did nothing with her about dealing with difficulties. Nothing. Because she had this miraculous turnaround just by looking at relationship-building strategies. She suddenly realised, gee, I don't need to do this screeching. Building relationship is what's important here. And I've got a lovely little boy, and strangely enough, he was a very good piano player. This was really quite (laughs) extraordinary. Anyway, I've got this lovely little boy who I just need to build relationship with. And mum went away completely happy with what... And I had done nothing to do with dealing with difficulties. Nothing. So for me, that's something that's always stuck in my mind because it's Mm. not necessarily always about dealing with difficulties. It's about helping parents just see relationship building a bit differently as well.
0: So that... That sort of intervention from yours really needs to be customised, doesn't it, to the to the environment that you observe as a professional. And that's why, as you said earlier, that it's only important when it becomes important. As in, we're experiencing it. Yeah, and that's where we need that that sort of in- intervention in out. Give you those skills and confidence, and then get out so that yep. you can enjoy. The parenting, that's a thats a really good example of Well, that. one of the models
1: we use, Pat, is this, its a main model of Triple is a self-regulatory model, where we're helping parents help themselves. So I'm attempting to try and build capacity of the parent. I'm not trying to just give parent expert information. I'm trying to build capacity of a parent to be able to, problem solve and think about that for themselves so that's a really crucial part so as I train practitioners that's the hardest part of my job because practitioners think oh we're just going to give parents this list of 17 strategies and all parents will go away and miraculously <laughs> change. but that's just not the case it's it's about how we use this self-regulatory model to help parents draw on the ideas but help them have a go at it, help them self-evaluate how they're going. That's, it's a process in, involved. So with that mum, that's the process I was using as well, I was helping her draw on this, these information, helping them have, letting mum have a go at it and then helping her self-evaluate how she's going with that. Now which parts of those relationship um, strategies are working well for you? And mum would talk it, to me about listening to him, talking to him and that sounds so basic but but mum was able to realise the value of talking to him mm. and, I, and I was able to help her identify for herself the value of talking to him. That's what's crucial, not me saying to her, yeah. look, that sounds like talking to him works really well for you. Mum identifying, that's important. In fact, just one other thing, just put it in perspective, when we start to tell parents what to do in this sort of job work that I work And if I start to p- tell parents what to do and I tell them this week what they need to do in a situation, if they go away and try something and, and they have a go at it and they come back next week and they'll say to me, I tried uh, that, I tried Michael, it, yeah. and, and it didn't didn't it work. Yeah. And, th- and they'll yeah. almost yeah. always say that. So if I get locked into that, trying to tell parents what to do, I dig this big hole for myself where I feel like I've got to keep telling parents what to do. So why the self-migotry model is so useful is that we're trying to build parents' capacity um, to be able to do it for themselves. And that, to me, is the biggest challenge. But it's also the, the most interesting challenge as well. And, and
0: do parents accept that? Because often parents... I get on the Google, just want the answer that 's right. What do I have to do? Tell me what I have to do and i 'll do it and mm. then my life will be better so how do, how do they respond to that approach because it's not it 's not as straight as here 's the answer. go and do it yep. it 's actually a process you have to work through, which is better long term i 'm getting you but I'm just I'm thinking about that 80% or so that, that really isn't seeking out the support of Triple P. Well, it's a
1: fantastic question because that's one of the biggest challenges because parents come along to me and they expect I'm going to tell them what to do yeah. and they get confronted with this fact that I'm not going to tell them what to do. I'm going to give them lots of information but I'm going to help build their capacity. So that can be a real challenge. They want to walk away with a script in their hand yeah. on that first and they're not going to have the script so i have to work with them to help them discover what it is we're trying to do together because they're often been to another agency and they've said to me oh they tried to tell me what to do that didn't work they've been to another agency they tried to no no, that didn't work now they're sitting with me so i'm trying to build their capacity so it's very different they're expecting Mm. to see um me tell them what to do so it's such a good question because that that does happen a lot
0: yeah not like a Car mechanic, are you? That says there's the problem here. too yeah, just yes. fix that and it'll drive properly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's just not that's not how people operate. So obviously, don't give parenting advice. I'm, I'm picking that up, and I can see why. But in your approach, I'm, I'm thinking in, with with is about parents building their capacity. Is that right? Yeah. So, so you know, every parent is going to have some difficulty with children at some stage of their life. So. How do we, How do we fit that into a parent education for everybody? Is it a case of everyone should just get involved with triple P at some stage Is that, is that the answer or how, well, how do we give that support? For example, on the website, I saw that the Queensland government's actually making it a free program for all Queenslanders, so they've obviously acknowledged that, hey this, yeah. this works, scientifically proven. Um, and um, evidence-based all, all those um, important scientific components um, so they're seeing that it's it's value so what, what's what's your
1: view yeah that's true um, um parents can, i can i am training at the moment groups of practitioners who are sponsored by the the um, queensland government to come and train so the queensland government pays for them to be trained to then deliver they have to then deliver triple p for free that's the challenge so it's often an agency that does that does that so they didn't deliver triple p for free but also triple p is available for all queensland families you and i and ev- everybody to um, triple p online is available for free so parents can enroll in triple p online yeah. and for zero to twelve they can enroll in triple p for teens for free as well and the, the queensland government has also sponsored the parents to enroll in uh, fearless triple p which is supporting parents who have differently we have a little people who little people who have children um, with anxiety so parents have access for that for free. So to some extent it is universally available uh for parents and it's of course it's it's self-directed it's on, it's online so that could be a challenge for some parents but th- but it's available.
0: Another question that sort of comes to mind is the the challenges for children change as they age. And um you know you've talked about the little ones and in those sort of Frameworks that you're building as they're in their smaller ages, but obviously as they move into the teenage years, and you've mentioned those sort of categories of ages. The problems are different obviously, but and do the strategies change as the children become teenagers and obviously moving towards being young adults?
1: Yeah, they do. The strategies like for example we might present in a teen program would be different from a zero to twelve program or a children with disabilities type program. They do change, but it's still about relationship building. It's still about what is it that we do to build a relationship with teens. When teens go and slam the door and stay in their room for the whole night on the internet, you know, what is it we do in those sort of situations? Because it could be quite different than what happens with children for zero to 12. So it is different and it perhaps can be more challenging, but it's still about relationship building.
0: Yeah. And also, you know, during those years, um, often the child relates to one of the parents for whatever reason, you know, at a particular age, and, and the other parent becomes the not good cop bad cop but, you know they, they, uh-huh. they're ostracized almost because that that relationship is quite strong with that one parent mm-hmm. whether it be the, the mother the father it, it's it's irrelevant but but that's also quite challenging for the parents because um you know that it, it's how they deal with that stage too i'm guessing is also difficult because I, I remember our, our own children as they progressed at times very close to me and other times very close to their mother and now mm. um depending on their age and what they're going through so yeah. Lots of challenges for parents, aren't they? In those sure, and it's
1: hard to support the parents through that, to be able to just work through that and be, and sit with it because it'll change around, it'll move around. Like As you describe, it does move around in terms of who they perhaps look like they value more in some way. That certainly yeah. does happen. But to have parents just sit with that and allow it to sort of happen but still try to build a relationship, it will move around for sure. Um, and eventually, um, children will uh, value both parents if, thing, if parents are working on building relationship. Um, I'm not trying to be idealistic, and sometimes it doesn't happen, of course, but yeah. if, if we can trust and still work on building relationships, it, it will all even out for sure.
0: So what's your vision then, or what do you hope for the future as, uh, for parents as they look to raise the next generation? Um, is, it, is it about, again, what you said earlier, that focus on the relationships you build with your children? Is that, is that the key Key message?
1: Yeah, I, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not so much concerned about the future. I think parents are bombarded with a lot of information. and Parents are really confused, and I think that confusion might continue a bit um, because there's so there's so much information. That a lot of the experts can ex- aren't there, isn't there? <laughs> but there's one thing that strikes me, and that is. Um, Relationship building is a lot about communication and so what I see happening with people being on devices and children being on devices now is perhaps, I don't know this exactly, but perhaps we're not learning really important parts or not practising important parts of communication like eye contact or body language or facial expressions. If children are spending a lot of time on devices, maybe they're missing the opportunity to practise that really important communication uh, uh, element of non which if it's true that 75% of our communication is non-verbal then perhaps they're not getting that chance to practice and I worry about that a bit but then I think about a parent I had in the clinic I worked with a lot of children on the autism spectrum and this mum had a 13 year old boy who was on the autism spectrum and mum said to me he got a phone and um She said he would never be physically affectionate with her, ever. Not interested in her, would never say anything nice or positive to her, ever. But he got this phone and he would send mum these texts from school, how much he loved her. And he would say, love Jake. That's not his name, but love Jake at the end of it. And mum was just amazed by it. That would never come out of his mouth. So I thought to myself, here I am thinking that, that... these um, devices, devices are not helpful, but here's a lovely example of how it can be useful, with, uh, for example, with a child with, on the autism spectrum. So I think we're, they're here to stay, um, of course. devices, but we've got to really understand them, I think, and understand how they can get in the way, how they can be an advantage.
0: Um, as I said, I know you don't give parenting advice, but we want some, we really want to finish up with some tips and. Um, Uh, for those listening because you know everyone (laughs) a lot of people are parents and a lot of people are thinking about being parents etc or considering that so what are some of the some of the tips that you think are important from your experience about um, about parenting
1: well, I suppose I could think about a few things. One in particular I find really helpful for practitioners and for parents is this idea of quality time with children and what that might look like. For sometimes we think, well, we've got to be able to spend 30 minutes with our children or an hour, but we don't necessarily have that time. Our parents will say to me, like, I'm by myself with the children, I have got 30 minutes to spend with them. But in this model, we often talk about the idea of quality time is not about spending 30 minutes or an hour, but it's about times when your children approach you. Well, to ask you something, to show you something. Mm. And that time can be 30 seconds, 15 seconds, 10 seconds. They come and show you something, they ask you something, and off they go playing again. And what message that sends in terms of quality time, And we, if we stop and respond for that 15 seconds, the message it sends it is that, ah, oh, mum's available, dad's available. And it's that availability that's so powerful in mm. terms of, of relationship building and quality time. So, And why I think that's so important is that all parents can do that. Even parents who have four children by themselves and are really challenged by, or they can still stop and respond for 15 seconds. So it's a lovely thing for parents to have um, in terms of building um, a relationship. Um, I also want to talk about a challenge I see parents present to me all the time is y- using things like consequence for children, which parents often use. Um, as a, as a strategy. This will happen if,
0: if you do that. Yeah,
1: yeah, because it's, it's a really misunderstood process. Like in research, how we talk about a consequence is it about being brief. For example, if two children are fighting over an iPad, for example, and we say to them, a stop direction, kids stop fighting over the iPad and take turns. So there's the instruction. We, we hover to see what happens for 15 seconds. They, they don't do anything. they just keep fighting over it. So we're going to respond straight away. So we might say something like, kids, you haven't done as I've asked. I'm going to hang onto that iPad for five minutes. So it's five minutes. And the five minutes is important because after the five minutes, the consequence process hasn't finished. And they might have gone off playing something else. They might have started complaining about losing it. We need to still work on that, what we're going to do there. But after the five minutes, the activity is going to come back. That's still part of the process. Now they're getting the iPad back. The five minutes is up, kids. Here's the iPad. It's really important that you take turns. And now if they miraculously happen to take turns, we want to really encourage that. So consequence is not about punishing children. It's about being planful and removing something to send a clear message that your mummy says you've got to take turns like we've practised um, with that iPad. And if you don't manage to do that, mum's hanging on to it. But you'll also have another chance to be successful with it. It's the success we're aiming for around consequence, not punishing children. Parents come into the clinic with me sometimes and they, they've taken everything off their children. They've got <laughs> nothing left. Their whole bedroom is completely, just got a bed, completely nude. bed. mum's even taken the light bulb out and the door <laughs> off. I had parents taken the door off. Because their parents are thinking, I've just got to keep more, be more and more severe with consequence. That's what we'll do. Will do the job, and parents might even take them to the police station. They'll give them a talking to, and that will convince them. But holy smokes! Okay. <laughs> what we're talking it. about here, though, is just if parents have a sense of just certainty. Look, if I follow, say to the kids, so fighting over the iPad and take turns, and if they don't manage it, the certainty is that Mum's going to just remove that for five minutes. The certainty is also about Mum's going to bring it back. Right. So that's because we want them to be successful. We don't want to have to try and escalate consequences because that just mm. that. It has a negative impact on relationship building, so that's that can be helpful.
0: That that's a really important one because oh, I'm thinking my own environment where I've been a failure in that space, particularly because again, you're trying to. You, I suppose it's educating the child. There are consequences for poor behaviour or poor practice, etc., as well. But but really, that's just part of the whole equation. We have to show there is success, though, in changing that behaviour. There is success. Yeah. And we, we keep escalating the punishment part of that yeah. because we, we think that has, that has a result. Um, yeah, fantastic. So any others?: That's <laughs> some good
1: ones. Well, I, I could. I suppose there's one more I could talk about. Um, often parents have rules in their house. And, I, yeah. and I'm working with parents. I ask them, have you, have you got any rules or expectations in your house? And parents will say, yeah, we have. And I would say, can you tell me about them? And they'll say, oh, we've got a rule about, uh, I think we've got a rule about running in the house. I think we've got a rule about that. And the parent really struggles to tell me what the rules are in the house. And so I think to myself, if the parents struggle to tell me the rules, I'm guessing the children struggle to know what the rules <laughs> are. So often we're revisiting rules as we mm-hmm. help parents think about mm-hmm. that. But then we need to think with par- help parents think about how do you back up rules? Like Say there was a rule about um, we speak nicely to each other in the house. And typically what a parent might do when a child comes up and says something like this to the parent, I want something to eat. The parent might say, I told you a thousand times not to speak to me like that. Why do you do that every <laughs> single time? You need your father told you that. The parent might respond typically like that. But what we're trying to do with, say, this triple P model is to help parents have a calm, planful way of responding to that where the young person gets a chance to practice that. So we might say something like, it's, it's a process called directed discussion but it might say something like this, look, say it was Jake. Jake, stop. What, what was the rule we've talked about of how we speak to each other? And He might say, well, I don't know, even though he does know, so if he doesn't say, I just remind him, the rulers, we speak nicely to each other. Now, here's the practice part. Have another go. Yeah. So he now has another go. And the last part is really important. Thanks, Jake, for asking a nice voice. Here it is. As opposed to saying, now, why can't you do that all the time? So that's not part of the process. It's just thanking him for doing it. So I want to mm. set the parent up to have a calm way of responding that doesn't involve growling at, the child. So there's a better chance they can build a relationship. When the parent escalates with the child doing something inappropriate, we just escalate together. Right. So we're giving the parent a calm way of backing up their rules, which can be really useful for parents. Does that, has that
0: moved into being grandparents? <laughs> <laughs> well
1: yeah it does no? to some extent yeah yeah, yeah
0: yeah for sure because um you know that's something you're enjoying yeah, yeah, in your, yeah. your life it is
1: yeah and i'm discovering lots because it's a really learning experience because that's another thing we didn't talk about before it's it's okay to learn on the job being a parent you don't have to feel like you've got it all like i haven't got it all yeah. but it's okay to learn on the job and discover things as, as you go and i suppose in my case i'm discovering um, what it's like to be a grandparent which is fantastic
0: Thanks, Michael, and thanks to our podcast partner, the Triple P Positive Parenting Program. Also, thanks to Derek Tan and his team at Generator, our marketing and communications consultants, for producing this podcast. And thank you for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed our 10th podcast. Join us again soon when we'll talk to another industry leader about issues that shape our communities. Until next time, I'm Patrick Hurd, and this is Seen and Heard.